Hi, I'm Nicole Haney. I'm a business coach who helps goal-driven business owners build the life and business of their dreams. In this podcast, I share tactical advice on building your business, mindset tips, and inspiring interviews to help you build your business and change your life. This is the Goals and Gratitude Podcast. Welcome back to the Goals and Gratitude Podcast. Today I am talking with Nicole Baranowski. Now, Nicole is the founder of HairStrong, which is a company that makes adjustable scrunchies that actually work and don't fall out of your hair. As a competitive athlete, Nicole needed something that would hold her long hair back during her training and her workouts. And she had always thought that her long hair was the problem. And really, she thought that she had to choose between her desire to be a competitive athlete and having long hair. So as someone who wants to give her all to everything she does, she felt like she didn't have the time to play around with her hair on the sidelines, which is why she created Hair Strong. So other people with long hair can crush their goals and go all in without worrying about their hair elastic or their scrunchie falling out of their hair or their hair getting in the way. Uh, So thank you, Nicole, for being here with us today. Um, So for those who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about HairStrong and how you got started? For sure. So my name is also Nicole. Super easy to remember for this podcast here today. (laughs) Nicole Squared. Yeah. um, I created a company called HairStrong out of my personal need for a better hair product to hold all of my hair. And so in my undergrad at Western, I was in Kin um, and I was on the rowing team and I was balancing work as well as a full-time course load. And so I was always on the go, always busy. And this is just what I was comfortable with, what I was good at doing, just balancing different priorities and commitments. When I took my entrepreneurship and kinesiology course in fourth year, uh, my primary objective with that course was to increase my average to then go into a master's program because I didn't know what I wanted to do after my undergrad. This course then led to the, what is now known as hair strong. And it really just started off as a class project. So one day during that class, my prof asked us what kind of problems we face every day. And up until this point, I thought we just had to settle for what was out there. Like it wasn't something that I could fix. Like I chose to have long hair. So this is the kind of consequence that I have to deal with having long hair. And when I voiced my problem out to the class and other people resonated with this notion of not being able to keep it up, it finally clicked to me that my hair was never the problem. It was the products. And so then for this class, I designed a prototype with my now husband, um, just literally for marks and then had a business plan made, um, did a pitch at the end of it. And at that pitch, like coincidentally, my uh, two business advisors from what was called Propel, now Morissette Institute, um, came up to me and asked me to meet with them. And they helped me make this into the business that it is today from the beginning. So I really didn't know anything about being a business owner. I didn't know it was going to be for me. I didn't, I wasn't an Ivy student at the time. I wasn't a business student. Like I just didn't know any of this stuff. But what I didn't know was that you could learn it by doing it. 
And so they took me through that whole process through. And so from inception of the idea from that first prototype in November, I started selling within eight months in July. So getting that through whole through process, like changing my trajectory of my career from something in Ken to uh, owning my own business now, and it'll be four years this coming May. Wow. That's incredible. And four years operating and you completely changed like what you were going to be doing. Was that scary at the time? I think I wasn't as scared as I was excited. And I think it's because I was just so naive because I didn't know what I was getting into. And I think with that, it's like, maybe if I didn't know, maybe I wouldn't have chosen this path. But now that I do know, I think I would have chosen it again because I've learned so much about myself. I've challenged myself in ways that I don't think I would have gone from any other experience. And it really did grow with me. And as I grow, the business grows. And it's it's just really cool to see. And I'm actually very proud of what I was able to go do in four years while balancing an undergrad degree, while doing it part-time. Like it's it's been really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and entrepreneurship is so challenging, right? Like, I think most of us don't really realize it going into it, how challenging it actually is. And yeah. so what were some of the early challenges you faced? Like not really getting into it, not really understanding. And as like, as you said, kind of naively, what yeah. were some of the challenges that came up that you really were not expecting at all? I'll, I'll talk about this topic because it's something I'm passionate about. And also something that I've like really come to learn this past year alone. When you're in the school system, growing up in society, you are taught to learn in a certain way. You are also measured in a certain way. And you have those metrics in front of you, whether that be rubrics, whether that be guidelines, whether that be something that's giving you a mark. So if you do this, it equals this. If you do this, it equals this. You are never really put in an environment where you have to critically think about what those boundaries are for yourself, what the success means, what, what that looks like and what you could be happy with. So I think when you start off, you don't know what you don't know. And that's, that's scary in and of itself. So what you do, or what I did was I looked to people around me in my industry to try and bring, build those boxes, to build those boundaries, to build what success could mean to me. So if this business did this much money in this many years, oh, that, if I could do that, that's what success means to me because you don't have those boundaries. Part of being an entrepreneur is that you get to make them yourself, but you don't really know that at the beginning. You just try and see, get inspired by those around you, try and not uh, fall like the same mistakes that they did. So you follow their advice, you follow their path, but it's so different for every single person, their context, their life, their goals and aspirations are totally different from yours. And it's not just one rubric that you have to compare 50 students against. It's literally the rubric of your life. What you find as successful and you determine that and what you define that is totally different. And I think realizing and coming to terms that no one can define what that means for you and no one can tell you what to do. Like you have to figure it out. You have to use your decision-making skills, your critical thinking, your mind to figure that out or else you're constantly going to be stressed about comparing yourself to others, hitting metrics that may not be realistic to compare and just feeling bad about yourself for not hitting those arbitrary metrics that you picked for yourself. Yeah, I I feel like everybody goes through this. Every entrepreneur goes through this process of like looking at other people in their industry and being like, 
oh my God, this person is so successful. And sometimes it can feel like they got there very quickly or overnight. And you're like, I'm just like selling my product at like, for me, I was selling my product at a farmer's market. And I'm looking at all these people that have this like massive national company. And I'm thinking like, what am I doing wrong here? Right. And so there is that comparison game that's happening, but I think you're really right. You have to figure out like, is that success for you? Right. You can look around at people in your industry And you can see them as being successful to other people, like from an outward perspective, but is that what you actually want? Right. And so how, I guess, how did you figure that out for yourself? And like, what, what does success look like for you then? It's, it's difficult because I still don't know. And I think for a while I was guilty. Like I felt guilty that I didn't know what I wanted to do in five years, 10 years. And I don't have enough time in this space to know what success looks like. And I don't have that experience. I don't have that wisdom. And so for me to be able to answer that question right now, it would be super arbitrary to tell you. But for right now, what I think would be like steps along my journey of success would be to grow this into one, a scale that I could pay myself. That would be success to me. Two, then to sell this company to a bigger company, be acquired. That would be success for me. Beyond that, I'm just not sure. And so thinking back to like my beginning goals of like comparing myself to others, it's like, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes for them and what's realistic. Like, I don't have the same resources as someone else. I don't have the same life or context as someone else. So to make goals that are like theirs, but without their life is kind of going backwards or like to the side and not pushing forward really. Like I really had to step back and decide, okay, this is the amount of time that I have. I I don't have any employees. This is how many people I have to help me to get there. This is how much money I have. What is realistic in terms of setting those goals? And then what I then also had to come to terms with is that it usually doesn't come as quick as you want it to. And that it does take a lot more time and energy than you think at the beginning. Even if you executed your plan perfectly, there are things you can't control that lead to that success, which comes from timing and luck as well. So it's just being coming to terms that you control what you can, you can't control other things. And if something doesn't work out, does it mean you failed? No, it just means you have to try something else. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, I think that failure piece is so huge for all of us, right? Feeling like, okay, I tried something and it didn't work and it can get you really discouraged, right? Like it, it is entrepreneurship in general is just really hard. Like it's really hard. It takes a really long time. And I think it's a lot harder than people really realize going into it. Um, I guess on that note, do you, from your perspective, like now having an understanding of how challenging it can be, um, do you feel like anyone can be an entrepreneur? Do you feel like there are certain skill sets that you need to have? Like, I think this is a very, people are so divided on this topic because I will talk to people that will say like anyone can be an entrepreneur and you just have to be able to like learn and build those skills. And then other people that are like, no, it's, it's really not for everyone. Um, And I think like from those people's perspective, they will say like, you have to really know yourself and know what you're getting into and whether or not it's for you. Um, So what, how do you feel about that topic? I agree with both perspectives on it. Um, And I'll, and I'll tell you why. So 
the fact that anyone could be anyone could be entrepreneurial. You can have your ideas. You can go pursue it. You can be do be entrepreneurial within a corporate setting. You can be entrepreneurial within someone else's business. You can start your own business. It. I think it then comes down to what the success looks like to you and what you're capable of doing. So if you want to build the next Twitter, the next um, Tesla, the next there, you need to be able to be okay with doing certain things over and over and over again. And it's not about discipline or mental toughness. I guess that does play a huge factor of how consistent you are to going to achieve your goal. But at the end of the day, it's like, if it's, if you don't have the skill set to be able to do those things, if you don't have the drive, if you don't have the passion, or if you just don't like doing those things, there is no way you are going to do those things for a long period of time. So to the point of like knowing yourself is like, if you have a goal of creating a small business or um, an Etsy site or um, like a bakery or a cookie business, that's super small scale for sure. Anyone could do that. You could dabble in it, be successful. Like whatever that success means to you, you could probably reach it. But if you want something big, if you want something that you are going to get a lot of hate from too, because you're not for everyone, if you need to have a certain skill set that you have to develop in order to get there. So for me, for example, like when I first started out, I'm the, the skill and level that I got to was only the, sorry, the level of success that I got to was because limited to the skill set that I had. If I had other experiences, if I had other like uh, past things in me, then yes, I could have grown it bigger, quicker, but now that I'm growing, so is my business. So I can say that I'm now capable of achieving a new level of success that I wasn't capable of before. So yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm bouncing things out, but it all depends on like how you learn and how you um, learn different things as well. For sure. It's all about experience, right? It's, it's all about growing. Like you said, you're growing as a person. And as you grow as a person, your business also grows alongside you, right? Because you can reach new levels when you have that experience under your belt. Yeah. And, and if you want to be an entrepreneur, but you don't like the tasks or the processes or the things that you have to do to be successful, to pay yourself, then it's not the route for you. So it's not the fact that like, no, you can't be an entrepreneur because you can, you can learn these skills. And if you like doing those things, you're more likely to stick with it. But if there are certain skill sets that I think that you need to have to be a successful entrepreneur, whether that be just be the base level of uh, creating a job for yourself, you do need some skill sets there that you do have to develop. You can develop them, whether or not you develop them well, that, that's dependent on the person. Yeah, I 100% agree with this. I 100% agree with what you're saying, because I very much have always been of the mindset of like, anyone can be an entrepreneur. It does require you to have certain skill sets, right? Like you have to be the type of person that's willing to be persistent, like in the face of failure, because you are going to try and do things. And it's when you first try and do something, you're probably going to suck at doing it and it's probably going to fail. And then you have to like pick yourself back up and try it again, even though that's really hard to do. And so I do think there are certain skill sets that you have to have to be a successful entrepreneur. But I think that as long as you're willing to acquire those skills, 
That is the key factor, honestly, because I have seen people who are totally capable of being a successful entrepreneur, but they just decide that that's not, they don't want to do that. They don't want to continue to be persistent and continue to pick up the phone and do those things that are outside of their comfort zone. And that's totally fair. Like if that's not who you are and you don't want to develop those skills, that's fine. But if you do want to be a successful entrepreneur, then I I think it requires you learning how to do those things successfully. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so I guess on that note as well, I want to go back to your story, your startup story and how you said you were doing like a million things at one time. And so you were in your undergrad and you were competitive rowing at that point in time. Right. And you started hair strong, like sort of all at the same time. Um, I want to kind of dig into the athletic side of it because I feel like there is a parallel there between like competitive athletics and being an entrepreneur. Like, do you feel like it's like kind of the same skill set? How do you feel like those kind of compare? In terms of um, mental skills, I think what I've learned from rowing and from being in a competitive environment definitely transferred over to uh, my business. Stuff like grinding through the boring stuff or the busy work that you, that just needs to get done, um, pushing forward and having a goal or plan for the future. So something to strive towards. So you're not just aimlessly doing tasks that lead nowhere. It's it, there are, there is a lot of translation or like transferable skills from that. But I think my main takeaway from sport into business, which I really just like got a grasp on this year was that structure is needed. And just because you have free reign of your time, if you own your business or you get to decide what you do, it doesn't mean that it's all over the place. Like you do need a structure and a system and a process to have it scalable to the, to where you want to go because your goals and your progress will be limited to your systems that you have in place. So for example, with rowing, you have this workout plan that is year round and that peaks during a specific competitive season time. So you're training from January to November. You will not see your peak efforts or your the, the fruits of your work until November. You have to work for it for 11 months. And so that takes putting in the hours every single day that then you trust that it then will come up at, in November. And if you did all the things and you just trust that it works and you have that for business, when you're starting your own business, you get to decide what those things are. So the first failing point is figuring out what systems work. And if they don't work, switch fast. So you're not doing the same thing. That's not working every day. So once you figure out the systems and processes that are working, you have to trust that. Like you decided that you have to trust it. You have to be confident that it's working. If not, like it, it just don't work anyways. So you might as well just trust what you did. So like really sticking to the plan that you made, the goals that you set out for yourself, the tasks that you have and being very patient and knowing that if this will give you a delayed reward, that's bigger than a short win, you will do that. And also balancing it, balancing it. So not every day looks the same. You don't have to work 15 hours every day to be successful. That's unsustainable and it's unrealistic. And I highly doubt anyone is very focused for 15 hours a day, but some days you do need to do that because you're in a sprint. Like right now for my black Friday trade show markets, I'm doing that sprint, but I'm not doing that all year. 
So it's like dividing your time into some days, having that long strategic, like focused thinking other days is busy work. Other days is operations, marketing, whatever that is for you, but having that in a system that's working towards a long-term goal for you and your business. So then how do you, cause you mentioned like, you have to sort of trust the process, right? And you have to like put in the work today, tomorrow, the next day to maybe see that pay off in like a year, right? How do you keep your hope alive? Like, how do you keep showing up every single day, even though you can't necessarily see the fruits of your labor until like 11, 12 months from now? I think that just comes down to truly liking what you're doing. So that even if you don't reach that, because Honestly, if you don't know what you're doing, all the goals that you're setting for yourself are very arbitrary. Like you have, I have no idea if I'll hit like a thousand, a thousand dollar sales tomorrow. I have, I have no idea because I can't control what other people can do. What I can control is how many emails I send out, how many social media posts I make, how many people I talk to. If I generally or genuinely did not enjoy doing those things, it would be very hard to stick with it for 11 months. But because I like doing the process and the things it takes to get to those whether they're arbitrary or not goals is what really keeps me going to do something you hate for 11 months is a very long time to do something you like and love and know that even if this doesn't work out, it's okay. You'll be fine. That's way better. And if you don't like what you're doing, then like switch what you're doing because it won't last. Yeah. I do feel like there's a reward aspect to kind of some of those activities too, right? Like when you, there's not a ton of people that love doing like cold calls, for instance, right? But you might know that doing the cold calls is what's going to get you there. It's what's going to get your business there. And so you might not love the process of like picking up the phone and having to like ask somebody to buy your product or bring it into their store or something to that effect. But what you probably do love and what you might not even realize you love until you get into doing it is the reward that comes from somebody saying yes, right? Like, I found this for myself, honestly, like I used to hate sales when I started Boho. Like I would tell anyone who would listen, like I do not do sales. I hate doing sales. Like I won't ever push my products onto anybody, like anything like that, because I had this notion of what doing sales meant. Um, and it really was not an accurate notion of what sales is. Um, and so then once I realized like, wait a second, I actually have to do sales. If I want to keep my business alive and growing, I'm going to have to like pick up the phone and do this. I started doing it. I realized like, first of all, not as scary as what I was thinking it was like, it really is just building relationships with other human beings. Right. Um, and then second of all that, like, honestly, there is nothing like that thrill of getting somebody to say yes. And you're like, yes, my business is growing. Like, right. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. It's hard. Like I get a lot of no's and like, I just, it's just, I'm not for everyone and that's totally fine. And just not taking that personally. It's like, maybe you could have pitched it better. Maybe you could have, uh, had a better product. Like it's all on you. Like I internalize the Not that not, I don't take the no's personally, but I'm like, what could I have done better for the next one? There is a chance that like, okay, they're not for me. I'm not for everyone, but there's also that aspect of like, there's a reason why they said no. I'm either pitching to the wrong person, not pitching the right way, or the product's not good. So you are producing a product, right? And I think that most people don't really understand until you have a product business, you don't really understand how challenging it is 
to make a product and distribute a product. So can you tell us a little bit about what your production process has looked like from the early days when you started and what it looks like now? Yeah. So I was very new to this scene. Like when I started, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. Like you've said, like not a lot of people know. I just thought it was as simple as like, Oh, someone's going to get this product. I'm just going to sell it. But there's a lot of details and nuances that you have to go through. Um, I was very overwhelmed with the idea of getting something overseas for a lot of units, even though that it was the more scalable, scalable way to do it. So I stayed within my comfort zone. Well, I jumped out a little bit, but within my comfort zone, I knew what was easy for me was making the relationships where I lived with people in Canada and talking to them, getting them to be on board with making this product. And then it was just very flexible for me. So if anything was wrong, like I'd go see them. It was a very tight knit relationship and I didn't need to put out an order a month, two months, three months in advance. So also the turnaround time is huge for going overseas. So it's just very flexible. If I wanted something that week or the next week, like it was made. So it was very flexible. The cash flow wasn't super restrained because for some, like if you order a lot of units overseas, you have to do down payment or whatever, let's say $10,000, you don't get it for a month and then you have to sell them. So like that monthly turnaround is really tight on cash. I got it done here. I didn't have that restriction of cash flow because I didn't need to order it months in advance. I could order a month up and then sell it next month. And it was two month turnaround. It was great. Um, but at first, like I just sought out like all the people who I knew could make this product for me and just talk to them. And it was tricky. It is still tricky because I've been doing this for almost four years now and I'm still getting them handmade here. And what I actually realized is I don't have the dollar margin to grow and scale. So even though people are very uh, apt to saying, oh, I want to buy local, I cannot charge a price point that makes sense for people to buy as well as covers all my costs right now. So it's actually not very easy for me to scale. So that's when I, I knew if I wanted to make this bigger, I needed to bring my costs down. Uh, it is a business decision and it's a smart one because I can now have more dollars to grow and to pay off my expenses and to like go nationwide and then bring down my costs even further for people and myself. Like right now I still charge shipping on my website. No one likes to pay for shipping, but I can't afford to cover it at all. And that's not even the whole shipping amount. People think that shipping, I don't know, before I started this business, I didn't know who covered shipping. I just know that I didn't like paying for it, but the yeah. businesses still pay for it. Someone still pays for shipping. Shipping sucks. Okay. And for my small scrunchie to ship it to BC, still $20. Like doesn't matter what it is. It's That's still insane. $20. So I know. So exactly. So I needed to bring my costs down. So I finally got like some relationships made where I could make this overseas and I'm finally getting my first production run within the next two weeks overseas, like 6,000 units, which is pretty big for me. Wow. That's fantastic. Good for you. Like this is the way to scale, right? Is to, is to bring down your costs, get a higher volume and then start pushing it out to a larger um, market of people. Right. Yeah. So then is that your plan is to like scale nationally? I guess, where are you at right now? Like where can people buy hair strong scrunchies? Um, and yeah. then what's your plan for expansion? Right now it's online. I sell mainly to Canadians, like Canada found my site, but I've been, I can sell to us. I can sell internationally. I have had orders to the Netherlands, to Iceland, to Poland, to Europe, to Australia, to New Zealand. Like I've had all those orders, one-offs or uh, just a few. And into the States, uh, it would be huge. And then in the new year, I actually want to get on Amazon. And then do you want to be working with retailers as well? Like, do you want to get them placed in I stores? I thought I did. I thought I did. 
Okay. Uh, only because the idea of having one to many relationship rather than one to one for everyone was intriguing. However, this product can't sell itself on a shelf. Like I don't have the resources to make appealing packaging right now. And I don't have the resources to have like a salesperson at each of these retailers to sell it to people because it's new. I'm changing behavior. It's not just another scrunchie. It's not just another, this. like, you can't feel it just like the fabric and be like, oh yeah, this is like you, you literally have to have a good salesperson to sell this as, as of right now. And so what I want to do is create that demand on my own with the brand, which I can do online, then have that pull from retailers because I don't want to just put it on the shelves because it doesn't work. Like you put it on the shelves and then just because they get the traffic or volume, it's going to sell. Like you need a reason for them to buy from there. You need a pull. And that's what I didn't know beforehand when I actually tried to go for retailers, but with the small shops that I'm in, like I have great relationships with them. They know the product, they know how to sell it. They can sell it. They it's doing well for their customer base and they know the value of it for big chains. Like who I want to get into eventually is like, I need a name like that brings people into the store that just increases the accessibility of the product more than trying to sell it in a store. Yeah, absolutely. I think most people that get into um, retailer sales and go B2B to stores don't really realize that your product is not going to jump off the shelf by itself, right? Like there are strategic things that you need to do to make that happen. And whether that is, you know, having a, having a marketing spend um, that you utilize to market the product in store, or whether that is like doing demos on the store floor, um, or as you said, like already having an audience that you are then driving to those retail stores, um, you have to do something. You cannot just put your product on a store shelf and expect it to move, right? And so it does, it's that whole learning process of building a business and realizing like, Ooh, I thought it was going to be one way and it's actually not that way at all. Like there are so many different things that I have to do. This looks totally different than what I was anticipating. Also, if your goal is to just get into a retailer once, fine, do this. But if it's to get repeat orders for them to beg you to stock the product, like you need something more. And I don't have the resources right now to do that. And I'm okay with that right now. I think that's fantastic. Like just knowing yourself, knowing your business, knowing what your goals are, um, and then just driving your business forward in that way. Like you don't, as we were talking about in the uh, beginning of this session, like you don't have to follow somebody else's footsteps. You don't have to follow somebody else's guidelines of what business success looks like. You can make up your own kind of path for yourself and your own business. So I think that's awesome that you're doing exactly that. What is your favorite part of being an entrepreneur? Like, what do you just absolutely love about this? And could you ever see yourself like not being an entrepreneur or do you feel like you're going to stay in this for, for life? Um, in terms of like what I would define as being an entrepreneur right now, for me, it's owning hair strong. What that'll look like in five, 10 years, I don't know. And I'm very um, hopeful and very op optimistic about that the right opportunity I'll find the right opportunities for me when the time comes and I'll take them and I'll take advantage of them in terms of like now what I love doing with hair strong I love the fact that people have messaged me and told me things like I wish I had this when I was younger I can't believe that I've been 
using a regular elastics for so long and and just like i've created something worth value that other people are willing to give me their hard earned money like that to me is like wow i did that like today i launched my new silk collection line um and well it's not technically just mine it's with two other amazing local businesses um, that we're, we've all created this like line together that I'm, we're all just selling on our own site. So like my launch was today and someone spent $500 on this line. And it's like something that I've worked for months creating with these two other businesses and someone gave me their money. Like, they're like, I love this and I want it as gifts for me. Like, that's just something so cool that I don't think I would have gotten that if let's say like I kept my job at sport check and like went up the ranks as like a manager or like I kept, like I found another job. Like, I just don't think it would have, there would have been that ownership of like, wow, I did that. And it's just like a proud moment to see you can make a difference. And beforehand, I wasn't as confident in this product because I'm like, oh, people are just going to think it's a scrunchie. But at the same time, like if I think that, then obviously other people are going to think that. So I have to think like this is the best thing in the world. And it is. So that that is what other people are seeing too. So that's just like learning to like be proud of that and uh, be confident within that as well. Yeah, it's so rewarding, right? When you feel like something that you have created can help somebody else or that they, they want something that you have made. Like there's mm -hmm. something so incredibly fulfilling and rewarding about that whole process. And I feel like even if you create a program or you're entrepreneurial within like an organization, it still doesn't feel quite the same as like having it be your own thing. Right. So mm -hmm. tell us more about Hairstrong. Like I, I want to hear more. I know what it is because I have Hairstrong products and I absolutely love them and I use them all the time for my workouts, but what makes it different from a regular scrunchie then? Yeah. So how would, uh, I, what I noticed in the industry is like, it's, it's come a long way in terms of the design of certain things to keep your hair back. So it was maybe like cloths before to like ties to string to then elastics and then scrunchies were brought in as something trendy something cool and then they had all these like non-damaging benefits for your hair and whatever it was I didn't see in the market something that actually sold me on this can keep your hair up it was always like either an accessory um an aesthetic thing but it was never like this actually works and so I really wanted to change the narrative for hair strong as something that's like essential in your everyday. Like you're, if you're putting your hair up every day, you're using a product every single day. And over time that is going, you're going to see it in your hair, whether, whatever you use like elastics, you're going to see the creases. You're going to see the hair tugs, like little bits. You're going to see all that every day. So why not, if you're going to keep your hair up every day, use something that actually feels good, that actually does what it's supposed to. And uh, removes distractions and frustrations that you get with having hair in your face. And so what I did was I added a way that you could actually control the size with a toggle so that you can cinch it to the perfect size for your hair so that it's not too tight where it damages it, or it's not loose and it slides out. So it really does work for you instead of this one size fits all approach that majority of things are now out there. It's a one size that could fit you. 
I like absolutely love my hair strong scrunchie. Like it's fantastic, honestly. And it does exactly what you just said. Like I have problems because I'm a runner. And so when I run, if I just use a regular elastic, like, yes, I either wrap it around three times and it just like completely falls out of my hair while I'm running, or I have to like try and wrap it around a fourth time. And then it's so tight and it just like pulls on my hair and I hate it. Like it's so uncomfortable. And so by using hair strong, it does exactly what you say it does. I can attest to this guys, but I do know that you have had some flack online from people being like, oh, it doesn't actually stay in. And like, I've seen some of the TikToks where people are saying like, oh no, it doesn't work. So like, how do you deal with that when people are saying, you know, like, you know, your product works and you know, from customers that your product works. So then how do you deal with that when you have people on the internet, like being a hater? Most of them. So there's, there's two ways that I look at these things. One is like people tend to project themselves onto you, whether they're having a bad day, it's on you. Like the, the comments reflects them and their thought process. And it's not personal. Like it's not nothing about my brand. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not hurting anyone. It's, it's their projection of life and their perspective of life. So that's one thing. Another thing is that they've never even tried it. So they don't actually know the people that have tried it and don't like, there are some people that don't like it. That didn't work for them. It could be one uh, user error two I didn't explain it enough or in the right way to have them work for them or three, it just doesn't work like for very slippery hair. It still will. You'll still see a slip because the fabric is soft. Like you'll still see that, but with textured hair, straight hair, curly hair, like you won't see it fall out three. It's like, what can I do better as a business and as a person to uh, convey the story of this actually working and benefiting your life. So yeah, I could take these comments personally and it's easy to do that because it's easy to blame other people and, um, take that and like not do anything with it. But if someone thinks that I didn't tell the story good enough, then what can I do to improve it for the next time so that I don't get as much hate. But to be honest, there is a caveat to that. There will always be haters. There will always be something wrong. So like, you cannot be perfect, but it's like, okay, this person said this, like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. Let me change it a little bit. Let me make another video. Let me try and clarify what I mean. Like using it to my benefit more than using it as like a personal attack and a way to like step back. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really great way of seeing it. Cause I think it's like, it's kind of easy nowadays because there's trolls everywhere, right? There's haters everywhere. And so I feel like the easy thing to do is to just be like, ah, oh, whatever. It's a troll. Like it's not a big deal. Like delete the comment, whatever. It's actually a lot harder to take a step back and be like, okay, wait, is there something that I could have done better as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a storyteller, as somebody who's trying to tell, uh, tell people how to use this product like, is there something that I could be doing more of? And I think that that's great, but you also don't want it to get, like you were saying, you don't want it to slide over to like the side of um, being a bit unhealthy and being like every single time a troll comes at you, you're like, oh, I did something wrong, right? So I feel like it's a balancing act, but I do think that it's really wise to take a look at it and be like, okay, is there something that I could have done better, right? My last question to you, and this is a question that I ask to everyone who comes on my podcast, what is your best piece of advice for entrepreneurs? If you had one thing to tell new entrepreneurs, what would you say to them? I don't want to give something vague and random. Like there's obviously one that it's like, just start. And, um, 
do you you won't learn by doing like you can read all the self-help books and listen to all the podcasts you want but if you don't take any actions you'll never actually know but it's like every piece of advice will hit someone differently at a different part of their life and so what i think what i would have benefited the most from as being an entrepreneur like right before starting out is learning learn about yourself and what your strengths are and really diving deep if you invest in yourself you will then invest in your business because your business is like a, a mirror, not a, not a direct mirror, but a reflection of you and what you're capable of. If someone is in your position and they're making more money than you, they've, they're doing something that potentially better than you. Like there's no reason to hate on them. And it's like, they have this game. They have this space nailed down, maybe in a bit better, in a bit better way than you do. And so instead of being like jealous of them or using that internally to critique yourself, it's like, what are they doing that I'm not? What do they have? What have they learned that I have not yet? And so really taking this as like a personal self, like self growing journey to grow yourself, to then grow your business. And then potentially if it doesn't work out, grow someone else's, grow someone else's business or grows business with someone else as well. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I always say to people, jealousy is just an indication that you desire something that someone else has, right? I think we look at like jealousy as such a negative thing in our society. And I don't think that it needs to be like, if I'm jealous of somebody, I'm not just going to be jealous of them and then be like, oh, I hate that person. I never want to see them again. No, like I'm going to feel that jealousy. And then I'm going to say like, why do I feel this? Like, what is it about what that person is doing that is making me jealous? And how can I figure out how to do that for myself, right? Like yeah, exactly. I, perfect example is um, I saw somebody that I knew um, who had become a business professor and I felt jealous of that. And I was like, wait a second, like how, what? Like, how is this person becoming a business professor? Like that's crazy. This person's so much younger than I am. And I felt like they had maybe like a bit less experience. And so I, I leaned into that and I was like, well, if I'm jealous of that, like, why wouldn't I go for that? Right? Like clearly that's something that I want to do. And so I did, I pursued it. And now I, I'm a business professor as well. Right. And so it's like, just seeing that jealousy piece as like an indication that you desire something that someone else has, like, it doesn't mean that you can never get it. It actually means that's the direction you should be moving in. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for being on the podcast today and for sharing all of your wisdom with our audience um, and for sharing about hair strong and what you do for people with long hair who want to be active or put up their hair. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate you coming on here. Thank you so much, Nicole, for having me. It was great chatting with you. And for anyone that's tired of their elastics or scrunchies, you can find me at hairstrong.ca or you can follow me on Instagram at hairstrongband and time to level up your own hair game. <laughs>